shooting. Skimmer Way near Lakeland, Charles 478, Tango. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Zebalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, here it is, the Christmas edition of Inside EMS. I want to thank everybody for joining us. I'm your host, Chris Zebalero. And with me always is my cuddly, my friendly, I don't even have, I don't even know where to go with that, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how you doing? I'm fine, man. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped, ready for Christmas. I've, I, I've got my stock tongue by the chimney with care, the whole nine yards. Well, it's awesome to hear. I got kind of thrown off after the cuddly piece. I didn't know where to go. Well, most guys are overcome by my cuddliness. So. I know. Well, I mean, it is kind of, uh, it is manly in, in a manly sort of way. But anyway, <laughs> speaking of manly, Kelly, I think we really have a really exciting show today. That We're going to call this our year-end show, I guess. This will be the last time we record this year, and we'll be back with you guys. We'll uh, start recording again. Uh, January 5th is our first show back, and uh, we'll be excited for a little bit of the break. But before we say goodbye for the new year, we found it only fitting that we bring in the editor-in-chief, that's right, the editor-in-chief of EMS1, Greg Freeze. Greg, how are you doing? I'm well, guys. Thanks for that uh, kind introduction. As soon as you said, uh, speaking of manliness, Chris, I was thinking about the handlebar mustache that I'm going to grow in 2016 um, just to really uh, go full effect manliness. You know, it's really funny that you say that. And and everyone, just so everyone knows, before we started recording, and Kelly, you weren't on yet, uh, I may start growing a handlebar mustache. So I'm going to play with that. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about braiding my back hair, but it's not really in the same category. Yeah, it really isn't. But I think we've just gone a little crazy. But, you know, Greg, it, it, it's good to have you here. And, uh, you know, the question we'll save to the end is which one of your Inside EMS podcasters is your favorite but before we get there, I mean, uh, having you here, I think, is really important. I mean, because one, EMS One gives us a platform to do the show. We certainly appreciate it. And but EMS One has really, over the past year, and I'd be interested to know uh, where we're going next year. But there, you get your coverage of EMS has been really kind of spot on. And and sometimes, you know, you'll get some people that are, you know, the you know they're thinking about, uh, you know, they're upset or disappointed at some of the reporting that's done. And I would really like to kind of touch on that for an understanding as well. But maybe you could just give us a, a retrospect of uh, 2015 and what it meant for the EMS industry. Well, so Chris, that's, uh, I think there's a lot to it. When I think about how EMS One covers the profession and e EMS-related news, uh, kind of what's driving us on a day-to-day -day basis is looking for news and information that we think is going to be relevant and interesting to our readers. And usually what that is, it's a combination of things. EMS providers at their very best uh, both on and off duty and EMS providers at their very worst. Uh, sometimes uh, tragedy follows EMS providers uh, both on and off the job in either sort of unexpected or terrible decision making. So that's part of our coverage. Um, we also uh, have opportunities to find stories that are both the show triumph and tragedy of, of the human experience generally, but also specific to EMS providers. And the, so that's kind of the formula. Uh, you know, some of the critique that we get is that, uh, you know, we're not doing enough to uh, portray EMS in a good or kind way and that it's uh, just sort of one uh, negative story, narcotics theft, ambulance crash, 
test uh, cheating uh, type story after another. And uh, that, you know, that's, I think, the challenge of the news anywhere mm-hmm. of like, you know, people love to tune in to the horrific and the terrible and they don't tune in as, as much to the wonderful or uh, just sort of heart filling uh, what I call good news. And honestly, is more difficult than finding the bad news. Um, the bad news percolates up in Google searches and in emails we receive from readers uh, much more often than good news. Uh, so the the I think that um, how we find and select news maybe is reflected in uh, both the stories that sort of round out what we called the top 10, uh, as well as uh, just things that were really popular with uh, readers in terms of both page views, engagement, um, and also their uh, fan mail, I guess, uh, fan mail being all-encompassing of uh, the kind words that I receive and the not so kind words that I put in the file folder called, do you, does your mother know you type like that um, type <laughs> things? So. I told Kelly to stop sending you those, but he wasn't, he won't listen to me. I, I send fan mail to myself. If I didn't, I wouldn't get any fan mail. So. <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> Kelly, I send you stuff. Well, yeah, but y- your fan mail begins with uh, deadline was five days ago. <laughs> That That's might right. be true. It's like a what ticking type a ticking time bomb when you get an email from Greg. But yeah, uh, he, he he just sends me the theme to Final Jeopardy uh, as a as a subtle reminder that that things are due. So. The you know Chris, as I look back on uh, 2015, there's a couple things that are, that really stand out to me. You know, a year ago at this time, I think I talked about. Uh, you know, we're going to backboard nobody and we're going to give Narcan to everyone. Yeah. And the Narcan has continued to be, especially in the first half of, and even into this end of the year, but has continued to be big news throughout the land. You know, 2014, the CDC has just reported in the last week that 2014 was the, the most deadly year ever for overdose deaths. We've got more and more places that Narcan's available, whether it's over the counter or to just lay people or in rescue kits that police officers might carry. Um, And so that has been a story that's uh, just continued to, uh, to stand out all year long. And one of the things that with that, every time we report on overdose deaths or Narcan or a columnist, uh, writes about it. Uh, Michael Gerber and Michael Morse have both written thoughtfully about mm-hmm. Narcan, among others, in the last year. And one of the things that always sort of stands out to me is that we always hear from readers that seem to have very little empathy for uh, people that overdose on narcotics. And in a way that is really strikingly different than if we post a story about um, high school kids learning how to use CPR mm-hmm. or AEDs being deployed in every police car in a community. Um, stories about people that have sudden cardiac arrest and survive are always met with applause. And n- there's never anyone that writes in to say, oh, that person was obese and smoked and they deserve to die. Um, yeah. And that contrast um, it sort of popped out at me in the last couple months of like, where's the empathy? Um, it, it, should there be, I think there is empathy, 
but I guess what I'm struck by is that the number of readers that have very little empathy for people that uh, overdose um, and either nearly die or die all the way. Um, and so that's been one of my 2015 uh, realizations. You know, and, and that was that was one of my biggest uh, sources of trepidation with the, the push to to uh, put Narcan in the hands of, of more people because in our profession, you know, quite often there's a there's a bunch of of uh, there's a big segment of EMS that looks at Narcan as a punitive tool. It's mm -hmm. a um, it, it's not for therapy. It's it's to punish someone for overdosing um, and you know, with our education, we should know better. If we start putting it into the hands of uh, police officers and lay people, maybe they'd uh, maybe they'd be a little better with it than we are, or at least I'm a little more sympathetic. Um, but it, yeah, and, it and proves to 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 be an effective measure. So yeah, and Kelly and I talked about this on the show, and and I think one of the things that people will say that will will combat on is. You know, well, well, they made the decision to put the needle in their arm, and and nobody chooses. To exactly. Well, I, I agree. I agree that they took that that they took that initial step, but once they put that needle in their arm for the first time, it, it's almost lights out. It's almost yeah. game over. And, and now that thing is grabbed onto you, and, and we've got to be able. Same thing with you know, Kelly and I talk about this all the time. Same thing with uh, stress and and suicide in our career field. Again, the stigma that we hold on to these things are just crazy, but I don't want to go ahead and dominate the show on those things, Greg, but let me go and give you uh, my next question. I think I skipped Kelly, but Kelly, you, you get two in a row then. <laughs> what was the biggest thing from an EMS standpoint, Greg, that surprised you for 2015? I mean, you're sitting there and, and, and you're getting the content out and, and all this comes across your desk. What was the big thing that came across your desk this year that you said, oh my goodness? Oh, that's a great question, uh, Chris. I, you know, I, I think every day I'm reading reports about ambulance crashes. A very few of those crashes are significant enough to make it onto the EMS one homepage. And then, uh, related to, um, to ambulance crashes is, uh, which are a common cause of line of duty. I'm also reading and looking for and reading about every EMS related line of duty that death that happens. And every line of duty death is uh, tragic and unfortunate. And the, you know, as I, I think I would consider myself middle age, I'm in my mid forties that I look at both people my age and older than me and sort of when they experience a line of duty death, of course, it's tragic and sad. But I also think about a life uh, well lived and uh, lots of years in the career and with family. The ones that really sort of like made me just sit back in my seat and just sort of try to like process and come to terms is the number of young people that died in the line of duty this year in EMS. There was the uh, EMT in New Jersey on what was supposed to be her last uh, day of work as an EMT before going to medical school that was killed in an ambulance collision. Uh, there was also an EMT in Pennsylvania, uh, that a very young woman that died while giving uh, performing CPR or died shortly after CPR, performing CPR, I should say, shortly after. Um, was a Maryland medic uh, that was uh, killed back in January of uh, this year uh, when he was struck by a vehicle on scene. Um, and another uh, young man, he was 29 years old at the time of his death, um, uh, a line of duty death. So 
those uh, three deaths um, really had an impact on me of, of just thinking about like, you know, I have this opportunity, I believe, as editor in chief and, and working with the columnists and podcasters like you, that we can really have some influence on this profession. And, you know, this is just it's terrible tragedy that uh, we're losing 20 somethings, uh, the line of duty deaths. And uh, Chris, as I think about uh, 2015, that's what I keep going back to is uh, those three young people. And. Uh, just how did this happen? Um, it's very sad. So, Greg, that, that was that was what we had in 2015. What do you see uh, as far as editorial focus and, and content-wise for for EMS moving into 20 EMS one moving into 2016? What are we? What can we look forward to? Looking ahead to 2016, I think a couple of uh, things uh, come to mind for me. That uh, first, we're going to continue to look for and find and share. Um, and also report the news and information uh, that's uh, relevant and of interest to EMS providers uh, everywhere, just not just in the United States, but overseas as well. And to a large degree, um, we're going to uh, continue doing what we've been doing in 2015. Um, I don't want to say more of the same, but it's uh, you know a similar approach to uh, finding and sharing news. I think, um, as the the way that news is reported widely on the internet is changing, uh, you'll see some of that in the style of how EMS One articles are created and shared. Um, as there's more and more opportunities than ever before to incorporate uh, social content, whether it be um, Instagram photos, tweets, YouTube videos, uh, more and more those are becoming. Uh, inspiration or the basis for uh, reporting in all sorts of media, uh, not just EMS. I think some specific uh, things that uh, come to mind as far as areas that we're going to focus on, uh, you know, we're going to continue to build off some of the reporting we've done in 2015, uh, looking at active shooter incidents, and especially as those might be uh, our, how, our, how we approach and prepare <coughs> for an active shooter uh, might be evolving to an approach that uh, Jim Morrissey, an EMS one columnist, has described as hybrid targeted violent attacks. I think that's going to be part of our uh, 2016 efforts. Uh, something that is really seems to be emerging across the United States is that epinephrine uh, through auto injectors for treating anaphylaxis Epinephrine is now becoming a publicly accessible or public access medication, right. just like AEDs and Narcan. Um, so, and then I think there's also another public access uh, wave that we're just at the tip of the iceberg on, and that's public access hemorrhage control kits. Yeah, uh, and you know this. I think schools, libraries, businesses, airports uh, suddenly are going to have this sort of wall of EMS supplies of AED and tourniquets and EpiPens and uh, Narcan. And, uh, you know, I think that deserves some attention uh, from EMS One. Uh, and then we've also uh, outlined, Chris and Kelly, uh, an editorial calendar. And we'll make sure that uh, you get the link so you can put that in the show notes. Uh, but each month in, in 2016, we're going to take on a different topic and, you know, we're going to cover that with some content that we create as the EMS1 staff, also our columnists, 
uh, you and Kelly and, and Michael Morse and Kevin Grange and Art Sia and um, Patrick Lickus and uh, all sorts of wonderful contributors to EMS One will be writing on those uh, topics and adding to sort of the uh, knowledge base and amount of content that we have. Um, so those are things I think uh, people can look forward to from EMS One. And, you know, the, I think the final thought on that is that, you know, we continue to listen and monitor the profession and, you know, what we anticipate is potentially being important right now in December. Um, you know, we might totally whip on and, you know, something might pop up in July uh, that will all of a sudden, like, really grab attention of uh, EMTs and paramedics and our readers can uh, count on us to be out in front of that coverage um, and getting them the news and information that they need on those topics. Yeah, well, I, I think it sounds great. And, uh, you know, we certainly didn't know what to expect in 2015 when it came to some of those top stories. And, and I'm sure that 2016 isn't going to disappoint when it comes to the things that we're doing in EMS as well. Uh, I guess I know you're in a time, uh, a time crunch, so I want to go ahead and get you out of here. But you know, the thing that I want to say to you is uh, publicly, we, we certainly appreciate the guidance and, uh, you know, you, you see the difference in the feel of EMS-1 um, as you became the editor-in-chief and uh, certainly your experience, uh, you know, your experience in the EMS world, your experience as a premier educator, uh, experience as a podcaster for us here on the show. Uh, pat on the back to you. Kudos to your staff. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of keep the things, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, pumping along. And uh, EMS One becomes the uh, go-to place to learn all about EMS and what's going on in the career field. So kudos to you. And uh, I appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing a little insight with us. Well, happy to, Chris. And, you know, each week uh, when you and Kelly... Uh, either break down some EMS news or uh, talk to uh, an educator or a leader or somebody in our field that's making a difference. That's a, a great contribution to EMS. The uh, the show that you guys with Dan, did with Daniel Sundahl uh, a, a couple weeks ago about his uh, work creating uh, EMS-related art was uh, one of my favorites of the year. Uh, and, I, and I know you guys have more shows coming up of how-to and instructions and tips and that, that you're able to uh, make things uh, interesting and applicable to both the new EMS providers that are entering the field all the time as well as people with decades of experience. So uh, thank you to you both for the great work you're doing. And uh, Awesome. We appreciate it. But just really quick before you go, if people want to get in touch with you, Greg, is there a way they can do that? Well, I think they can find me all sorts of places online, uh, whether it be uh, LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, of course, uh, they can send me messages through the EMS1 Facebook page, or they can uh, email uh, directly to editor at ems1.com. It's uh, guaranteed to reach me as well. Awesome. Well, Greg Freeze, I want to thank you for joining us. And uh, let's not wait another year before we have you back. Let's get you on here uh, uh, sometime within the first quarter of 2016 and, and just to uh, see what's going on. I agree. Thanks so much, Chris. All right. Well, it was, as always, it's nice to have uh, Greg on, or as, as I like to call him behind his back, Patrick the Starfish. Uh, that's, just, <laughs> that's just horrible. Horrible. I know. But hi, I'm Greg Freeze. Welcome to EMS Educast. I've I've got to get my my standard Greg Freeze impression. You're, I mean, you're uh, going to get fired, Greg. That's yeah. not that's not me. I'm. Uh, I, I love I you, your, Greg. 
That's right. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Um, but let's move on to some of our top uh, our top news stories of 2015. And mine is uh, a little love to people I give a, a lot of grief to, uh, 911 dispatchers. Uh, number five news story of 2015 was a compilation of, of 911 dispatchers going above and beyond. Um, Chris, you remember the, uh, the 911 dispatcher who deciphered the emergency call uh, disguised as a pizza order? When yeah, I remember that. That was pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah that was a uh, girl's uh, uh, ex-boyfriend broke in and was threatening her, and she called and ordered a pizza. And this, this 911 dispatcher, uh, quick thinker, and, and was able to figure out what was going on and, and sent a... Uh, sent a uh, the police there to, to intervene and uh, save this girl from potentially uh, serious violence. And, and that went on, that, that uh, story went viral, became a Super Bowl uh, PSA um, to uh, raise awareness for domestic violence. God knows uh, the NFL needs some uh, PSAs for domestic violence. Um, but uh, we've, we've got a few stories of 2000, in 2015 of, of 911 dispatchers doing doing the deal and and uh, and really uh, acquitting themselves well. Uh, Tim Webb, a 911 dispatcher uh, in Virginia, um, broke protocol this year and gave CPR instructions uh, and, and wound up helping save a 17-month-old baby back in February. Right. Uh, at, what boggles my mind is, is that at this day and age, um, they still don't have... Uh, they they don't have MPDS or or something along those lines to to allow those dispatchers to give pre arrival instructions. Well, I think it depends um, on the system, though. I mean, there are yeah. systems that have you know a party dispatch that have those instructions. Yeah, you know, and and, and well, our system is the same way. We we have nine one one dispatchers, but they're they're effectively call takers, and they hand off uh, the call to the specific agency's dispatchers, and. Uh, so, so I would imagine that, that um, Tim works in a similar system, but he, uh, he knew what to do. He gave CPR instructions to the, the mother and wound up saving the 17-year-old boy. So uh, to, to Tim and, and all the dispatchers out there, especially mine, uh, mad props. You guys do a great job despite the grief that I give you some time, and, uh, and uh, we hope you continue to do so throughout 2016, and Merry Christmas to you. Wow, that's. Uh, I just have to pause on that because I don't know that I'll ever hear that again from you. So uh, that's something that's very, very shocking to me. I was cussing my dispatcher last night. Were you really? Yeah. And I think it's. You know, I think that that's been a whole big war between the field and and, and dispatch. And mm-hmm. you know, certainly we don't understand what they have to go through. And uh, you know, we think that sometimes there should be a little bit more common sense in that. But until you sit behind that microphone and have to make those decisions, you realize how difficult it really is. So, yeah. well, let me go ahead and give you my story. My number four story. And one of the ones that I think was very, very interesting, and I guess I'm coming from a leader aspect in EMS or a chief uh, position in EMS, AMR acquires Royal Metro. And for years, uh, having been in this field um, 30 years, you know, it was always the biggest ambulance provider, second Mm -hmm. biggest ambulance provider duking it out. Kelly, we can go back to 1997 when Laidlaw uh, acquired AMR. And, uh, you know, then MedTrans came under the umbrella and little mom and pop kind of gobbled up. But, 
you know, in July of this year, I mean, AMR announced the acquisition of Rural Metro, and mm-hmm. this really makes for, you know, the thought of what, what are they thinking? And, you know, I think they're going to get into the community paramedic world. I think they're going to do it together. And, and now who's going to stop them? And, and uh, you know, I don't know that this is the best, uh, uh, you know, position to be in. You know, I know Falk is out there, and Falk mm-hmm. is the global lead in EMS, and uh, I think Falk's going to give this company a run for their money in the years to come, but uh, I found this story to be very, very interesting for our yep. career field. These guys were at each other's throats for a lot of years, and Kelly, mm-hmm. you and I covered so many stories in 2015 about contractual challenges with Real Metro, mm-hmm. uh, uh, war, you know, they went to war, AMR went to war with the fire uh with the fire in uh, union Vegas, in Las yeah. Vegas, right, right. And uh, now, is, is this really the best move for our career field? But I think it's very, very significant. You know, and, and I remember early in my career, you know, industry pundits and, and Jack Stout and others were, were uh, saying that, that eventually EMS, within a, just a few years, EMS, the vast majority of uh, EMS in the country would be, would be provided by the big three providers. At the time, it was Rural Metro and AMR, and I'm guessing Laylaw Medtrans, uh, at that time, um, you know, and, and there was a whole lot of acquisitions. They were in acquisition mode, gobbling up these smaller ambulance services. Um, but as it played out, uh, didn't didn't work out that way because uh, a lot of these these ambulance services that they gobbled up uh, in their expansion were were not uh, financially viable in the long term, and and a lot of the those acquisitions uh, proved to be. Um, money losing operations, and especially in today's healthcare environment, where where reimbursement is dwindling and and uh, demand is is higher than ever, uh, it it it's tough on these even companies as large as AMR and and especially Rural Metro to maintain uh, or to remain fiscally viable. Um, and and I think uh, the fact that Rural Metro struggled so much and and eventually was bought out uh, is testament to that. Uh, it's a, it's going to be a tough world um, for all ambulance providers in the future to to maintain profitability and and to keep the doors open. All right, so my next story, number three on our list, is something that that you and I have spent a lot of time on, Chris, and that's uh, sudden and unexpected off-duty deaths of EMS personnel, either due to on-the-job injuries or sadly succumbing to to mental illness. Provider mental health and provider health in general uh, has has been a focus of ours for a while and will continue to be so in the future. We've got depressingly far too many stories uh, of EMTs who died in the line of duty or within 24 hours of completing a shift and, and a depressingly high number of those uh, took their own lives. Uh, got a story of, of Chelsea Michalesco, who uh, died, uh, was found dead in her vehicle uh, shortly after a shift. Um, EMT uh, from England, uh, Belinda Pope, was found dead at the ambulance service where she worked, and apparently she'd gone to the station that night and committed suicide. Um, we've got to look out for our own and we got to start looking out for ourselves me chief among them i've got to get a better control of my health and and take better care of myself uh but we also need to look out for each other uh because this is a this is a tough job and and we're we're tough people that don't like to admit our our frailties and and sometimes we we need to uh crowdsource mental health a little bit and uh 
seek help from from our partners and and from our peers uh, rather than than take the other way out and and suffer silently through it and, and possibly take our own lives in the end. Uh, we need to start focusing. Uh, we need to start focusing on provider mental health. Yeah, I have to agree with you 100. percent And I think that this is one of the things that we really have to, you know, pay attention to. I mean, as we as we're coming on the air just before Christmas time. You know, we're reminded of the uh, Kansas City firefighter that uh, just took his own life uh, last week. And, uh, you know, this, this is the silly season. And, and during the silly season, you know, people are uh, feeling, um, you know, feeling lost. They're feeling lonely. And uh, there's despair. And, yeah. again, these are the people that sit, you know, Kelly says that these are the people that sit 18 inches away from us that we don't aware the we don't have an awareness that uh, they're having some challenges. And, but it's not the fact that we don't have awareness that they're having challenges. It's the fact that we've developed a stigma that you can't have any yeah, challenges. You can't talk about it, yeah. And uh, we've got to be able to stop that. I mean, one of the things that we're going to be happy to bring you in, in 2016 is there's a new course that's just come out called Emotional Trauma Life Support. And this comes from an individual who was having some challenges in her own life. And, uh, you know, suicide was one of those things on our list that she said, maybe this is what I need to do. But from that, she developed a whole course that uh, we're going to be able to talk about. And, and we're excited to bring her to you in uh, 2016. Kelly, I think you're absolutely right. And you and I made the pledge last year that we were going to kind of dedicate 2015 mm -hmm. to bringing awareness to this uh, topic. And uh, I don't think 2016, uh, you know, gets us off the hook i think we're just yeah. as just as uh you know it's just as important to bring this stuff up in 2016 but you know if you guys out there if you're feeling lonely if you're feeling there's no way out if you you have a feeling of despair um you know pick up the phone and call somebody you know kelly and i have said pick up the phone and call us send us an email we'll reach out to you we'll make sure that you're mm -hmm. not alone and uh, we just don't want to hear these stories anymore yeah i don't want to hear any of them and and you know i i I know what depression during the holidays is like. Uh, my my holidays as a uh, adolescent were were not real pleasant. Um, you know, EMS is 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 what saved me during those times. Uh, I you know I, I was never suicidal, but uh, I took solace in in the friends that I made at work and and the family I chose for myself. Uh, and that's what got me through holidays, uh, many a holiday that that was uh, less than joyous. Uh, is is uh, working with with those uh, rumpled angels that I talk about in my my last column, um, good folks who uh, who are while not perfect do the best they can day in and day out and they bring hope just by showing up every day and that's my Christmas wish to you and uh, the rest of the EMS profession. Um, look eighteen inches away and look at that guy sitting in the seat next to you. We may lose sight of that fact sometimes, but uh, working with people like that are is a privilege and, and one of the greatest Christmas gifts I can think of. All right, let's go ahead and go to our number two story. And, um, you know, this was a year that was very, very challenging for the uh, EMS profession when it comes to providers who were assaulted, when it comes mm -hmm. to... Um, uh, providers that were shot at prov comes to uh, providers who were stabbed and, and this was a really bad year for that and, and it yeah. seemed that almost every week Kelly we were talking about more abuse and more assaults that were going on in the career field and my uh, number two story 
the uh, an ambulance that rolls over after a psych patient grabbed the wheel. Yeah. One of the things that we've got to constantly be vigilant at is we we're in a dangerous job, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of times we don't think it's dangerous. We walk into people's houses like we're paying bills up in that house, and and uh, we have a right to be there. And uh, you know, uh, we you know the people who are in that house should feel lucky that we're there. And I think we take the wrong attitude, but from that attitude, I think it gives us a false sense of security that we're going to be okay. And, you know, when we walk through the threshold of somebody's home, we may not come out. Yeah. And I think we forget that sometimes. And we've got to be able to ensure that we keep ourselves safe. We keep our partners safe. We keep the crew, uh, our, our patient as safe as we can, but there is no guarantee that when you clock in in the morning, that you are going to go home. And, and our police brethren and our fire brethren know that very, very well. But it seems in EMS, we do not take the due diligence necessary to ensure that we're keeping ourselves safe. One of the things that I've said on this show many times is, is we are great at scene safety, universe precaution scene safety. It's drummed in our head in our training. We're not good at maintaining scene safety. Yeah. We may know that the scene is safe are not safe, we're going to wait, and we're going to get uh, the help we need to secure the scene. But once we get on scene, we forget the term scene safety, and we're wrapped up in what we have to do, and we're not thinking about uh, what's going on around us. And uh, this is a very, very, uh, this is a false sense of security, Kelly, and mm-hmm. it seems that more and more we're starting to hear about these assaults and these uh, beatings and these slashings and these and I think it only gets worse. I mean, in the days of, of this whole, um, you know, domestic terrorists, the San yeah. Bernardino challenges, and uh, name them off yourself, um, we're going to start to see more and more of this. And I think that we've got to be diligent in ensuring that we go home at the end of our shift. Yeah. You know, and that was that was one of the biggest uh, eye-openers for me as a, as a young provider was the, the realization, the sobering realization that some people don't consider us the good guys that that boggled my mind it's, you know hey you called us to help out here we you know we're here supposed to be here saving the day and and you don't want us here um that that was a, a difficult uh, revelation to overcome um but nonetheless it's one that we have to deal with and and violence against ems providers is is turn is not turning out to be a problem has been a problem for as long as I've been in a career field and now we're seeing more of it. Now whether we're seeing more of it because we're communicating it better through social media uh, or if it's it's actually happening more often you and I have debated it in the past but but it's it, it still bears repeating that we we need to be aware uh, we need to increase our situational awareness and we need to also rethink the way we deal with violent or mentally disturbed patients. Uh, Kip Tsort points this out in, in his classes and, and we need to need to keep that in mind that it's not our job to take custody of people and, and that's one of the, the uh, biggest contributors to violence toward EMS personnel is, is we're trying to take care of people and keep people in our ambulances that don't want to be there um, and trying to, to you know, restrain them and, and take custody of them uh, when we don't need to be doing that. If they need that sort of thing, then we need other people besides paramedics, providers such as police officers to deal with the patient 
uh, up until the point where we can uh, treat their medical issues. So be careful, look out for you and your partner, and uh, keep up your situational awareness. It's a dangerous world out there, guys. Yeah, I agree. So let's go ahead and uh, let's get a little build-up here for the number one story of the year. Sadly enough, it's, uh, it's something we see all too often in in EMS news, it's uh, medics behaving badly. Comes from uh, the files of medics yeah. behaving badly. We got a we got a few of them yeah. stories this year. Yeah, we got a bunch of them. Uh, sadly enough, but uh, the the big one was the story of the Detroit EMT refusing to assist an infant in cardiac arrest. You know, we're, here's a, a phrase that will live in infamy. Uh, I'm not about to be on no scene ten minutes doing CPR. You know how these families get. Uh, was her excuse when uh, she refused to respond to the scene uh, parked, uh, posted just uh, just less than a mile away, uh, and uh, other responders telling her and her supervisor telling her to respond that the scene was was deemed safe and and they needed uh, they the family needed assistance there. Um, and uh, wound up getting her disciplined and uh, the city and the fire department uh, sued over the whole deal. And rightfully so. Uh, uh, personally, I, I think the discipline uh, needs to extend right on up to being drummed out of the profession. Um, but the the bigger issue is, is is that sort of attitude does not happen in a vacuum. Uh, you have to ask uh, as a as a leader uh, for Detroit EMS or for whoever. Um, how does that sort of attitude get fostered and and uh, ignored? to the point where it results in, in a, a, a provider refusing to do CPR on an infant uh, or refusing to even respond to a scene. Um, so she didn't wake up that morning and say, you know, I'm going to be a crappy EMT today. Um, that had been going on for a while, had to have been. But, you know, Chris, we, we see too many of those. My opinion on it has always been that, that uh, sometimes we, we get providers in this profession who uh, should not be here, uh, and it happens all too often. I think we set the bar too low to uh, for entry into EMS, uh, and as a result, we, we get some of these people whose motivation and skills and people skills and, and, and their heart is not what we'd want it to be in an EMS provider. Um, and I hate to, to call out news stories like that as our number one EMS story of the year, but but I think we have a professional obligation to call out bad behavior and condemn it sure. uh, among our ranks rather than let other people do it for us. Because uh, they're doing it. Because they're doing it yeah, too. Yeah, that's right. We, we have to, to actively engage in stewardship of our profession. Uh, and, and self-policing is one of, those, one of the tenets of that. So, uh, you know, uh, Anne-Marie Thomas messed it up really bad. We, we've got the... Uh, um, New York, uh, an EMT placed a fake 911 call to avoid responding to a call for a sick child. Didn't want to take the call, so he hops out of his ambulance, gets on a public phone, or hopped out of his ambulance and, and placed a phony call for a man in cardiac arrest right around the corner. So they divert him to that call, uh, and he wouldn't have to uh, take care of the sick child. Um, you know... Uh, if that kind of thing happens in your agency, uh, and you have coworkers who, who pull those kind of stunts, I feel for you, but, but you, you need to speak up because that kind of stuff cannot continue to go on in, in EMS agencies. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that we've got to look at as well is the fact that, 
um, we have to be able to ensure. There's a lot of times we get calls, Kelly, and, and you know as well as I do, and, and over our combined almost 60 years of experience together, that uh, there are calls we go on that they don't really need us there. And, but, oh, this, yeah. but this is the system that we, uh, we developed. We wanted everybody to call 911. We wanted to take everybody to the hospital because that was the way that we were making our money. As misguided as that was, we've created this system that now people abuse. And we've got to remember that when somebody dials 911, it, it could be the, the BS of BS calls. It could be the, the tragedy of, a, of an infant in cardiac arrest, uh, you know, whatever it is. You know, how many times have we gotten on scene for a dispatch BS call that's turned into uh, active cardiac arrest? Or, exactly. And we're not even bringing our equipment in because we thought it was going to be that BS call. But one of the things that I think that we need to know about our career field is people will dial 911, and when they do that, our obligation is to go to their homes and, and deliver the highest quality of patient care. You yeah. know, we know, I, and I say this all the time, I know after 30 years what a medical emergency is. I know what a trauma is. I know but what... Patients, patients don't. But they do not. And remember, we created this environment. You know, we call our doctor's office, and what's the first thing you hear? If this is a true emergency, hang up and dial 911. But again, after 30 years, I could tell you what a true emergency is, but that 15-year-old who just found out she was pregnant... That's an emergency to her. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that we've set this system up for these types of uh, indifference. And, and we, we bitch about it all the time that uh, this wasn't, why'd you call 911? What made you call 911 today? Uh, and this has been going on for two weeks at three o'clock in the morning. And we've got to stop that attitude. And just if people are calling us, they're calling us. We've got to educate. We've got to be able to uh, ensure that we navigate people to the right places. And it may not be the emergency room. But never, never is it okay to say, I am not going to, I am going to refuse to go on this call. Now, I'm all with you 100% if it comes down to scene safety, if it comes Mm -hmm. down to you going home, if you don't feel comfortable with going in this scene. But, you know, when you know that the scene is safe and just because you've got to do CPR on a kid for 10 minutes, get get your butt out of the car, go upstairs and do CPR for 10 minutes, regardless of how those families get. Yeah. Uh, refusing to take a call or, or making a fake 911 call so you can get out of doing your duty is, is something that should be um, disciplined, disciplined hard, and that should be your last day in this career field. But, uh, yep. you know, I'm with you 100%. Uh, we have a duty to act, and we've got to be mm-hmm. able to, regardless of that situation, until we can re-educate our population, we got to do what we got to do. You know, and, and I have run them, you have run them, anyone who's been in EMS more than five minutes has run those calls. You'd really rather not go on. They, the patient didn't need an ambulance, didn't need 911, didn't need an emergency department. You go on them anyway. You run those calls anyway, and you never, ever, ever let the patient see any hint that you don't think this is worthy of your time. You know, regardless of how annoying it can be and, and how bad the system's abuser, there is still honor in that social compact that when someone dials 911, help shows up. Not just some of the time, but all the time. Every time someone picks up the phone and dials 911 and asks for an ambulance, someone ought to show up. You know, I, I've always taken pride in, in the fact that, that uh, I show up, even when I don't want to. Uh, and I do my best, even when it's not needed. <laughs> I I try to do my best and show up for those calls, uh, and, and that's you know how I get my career satisfaction uh, to a certain extent is is knowing the 
the simplicity and the implicit honor in, in that uh, compact. Uh, you call, I come. Yeah, so it was certainly an interesting year for stories, and I think we we did our our, our great job of um, covering them as best that we could, but it's it's always sad to kind of end the year on a uh, sad note. Yeah, let's not end the year uh, talking about bad EMTs. Let's find something happier. How about a bonus story, man? Yeah, why don't you go ahead and give us a bonus story? Yeah, it's our number, uh, our our lanyap story, that's that's Cajun for a little something extra. Uh, What's it called? Lanyak. Lanyak? <laughs> My God, you godless Yankee. No. <laughs> Lanyap. L-A-G-N-I-A. I don't need I don't need a lesson. Lanyap. I don't even want to learn how to spell it. Just go. Anyway, Just go. it's it's uh um it's uh, our number nine EMS one dot com uh provider story of the year. EMS providers always on duty. These are medics who don't turn it off, who no matter what they're doing. Uh, all day, every day, they are still paramedics and they are still driven to help. Uh, the big one being the, the uh, paramedic responding to a car crash in her wedding dress uh, that went uh, viral, uh, in not just in the EMS uh, news wires, but uh, in every major news publication out there. Sarah Ray was on her way to her wedding when members of her family uh, became involved in a wreck, and she hopped out of the car in her bridal gown uh, and and did her thing. Um, and and man, I just I love that picture uh, because it 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 shows uh, we, even though uh, you it's the biggest day of your year, you still take time out to uh, to you know help others uh, and uh, and give of yourself. Uh, and I like to applaud that kind of behavior, and I think that's a perfect note to end the year on. Yeah, and I got to tell you, I mean, this is this is one of those feel-good stories we just talked about. You know, the uh, you know how how they're responding to calls or not wanting to respond to calls, and here we have somebody on the most important day of her life uh, now going to uh, get out of the car in her wedding dress. You know, she's got that wedding dress hiked up, and she is doing her duty. And uh, this is a feel-good story. And uh, I can't count the number of times I was in my car going to an appointment, going uh, traveling, and, uh, you know, there's car accidents. And uh, some of them were very serious with injections, uh, with fatalities, and uh, I was the first one there to uh, render care. And I can't be any other way, you know. I have a little bit of knowledge. I have a little bit of experience. And if I could save somebody on what could be the worst day of their life, Mm -hmm. I couldn't live with myself if I drove past that scene or or drove past somebody waving down for help. Sarah Ray really brought credit to our career field. Mm -hmm. Uh, She really gave us uh, something to stand up and say, you go, girl. And um, I got to tell you, it it was a feel-good story, man. That's a perfect way to end the year, man. Highlighting the the good that EMTs do, uh, and and props to Sarah Ray and every EMT who goes above and beyond, even when you're you're not officially getting paid to uh, to provide that care. Um, so let's let's wrap it up, man. This was a uh, it was a gr- great year for Inside EMS. 2016 proposes to be even better. But for myself and uh, my fellow Christmas elf, Chris Sebolero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, and we catch you guys in 2016. Thanks for tuning in.